Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, today uh, we're going to be talking about the subject of wisdom. So I thought I really should start with a quiz just to help get the wheels going in your mind a little bit kind of dad-oriented quiz, but that's, that's okay, it's okay. Uh, um, question number one, how do you put a giraffe into a refrigerator? You open the door, you put the giraffe in, and you close the door, okay? <laughs> this question tests whether you tend to do simple things in an overly complex way. Okay, second question. You didn't do too good on that one. <laughs> how do you put an elephant into a refrigerator? Bingo. Were you in the first service? Did you watch online? Okay. You can't lie in church. It's not you, it's me. Wrong answer. Open the refrigerator door, put the elephant in, close the door. Right answer. Open the refrigerator door and take out the giraffe. Ah, you're good. This tests your ability to think through the repercussions of your actions. So congratulations, you have great self-awareness. Okay, third one. The Lion King is hosting an animal party. All the animals attend except one. Which one does not attend? The elephant, elephant, because he's in the refrigerator. (laughs) That question tested your memory. You have a good memory too. All right, last question. There's a river that you must cross, but it is inhabited by crocodiles. How do you manage to get across it? Crocodiles are at the party. You go ahead and swim across. Good, 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 good. (laughs) This tests whether you learn quickly from your mistakes. Okay, all right. James chapter three, verse 13. I suppose you already got the message figured out too, don't you? But at any rate, um, (laughs) and if you do, That's all right. That's good. That's good. We'll we'll probably go start another church with you. All right. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such Wisdom, they put it in quotes. It's like the Bible does air quotes before air quotes were like a thing, okay? (laughs) Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and sincere. Wisdom is shown by how we live. Come on, it's pragmatic. It's not shown by how much you know. It's not shown by your IQ. It's shown by how you live. Verse 17 describes wisdom with words that reflect both character but also the ability and how you interact with others. Both of those things working together. And the start of the scripture, it says that wisdom has this characteristic of humility about it. 
Wisdom is very much tied to your character, not just your IQ. You can have a PhD and make a lot of unwise choices with your, with your life. I mean, you can go to the best of universities in this country or anywhere in the world, and you can still be unwise about how you manage your life. How many know there are smart people that have ruined their marriage by making dumb choices? There are smart people who, you know, have picked up habits, even addictions, that were harmful to their health, and they knew it before they did it, but they still did it. There are smart people who spend their income and live beyond their means and put their lives in a place of great stress because of the way that they've mismanaged their finances. They know better. It's not like they don't understand debt or don't understand interest rate and all the rest of it. Their intelligence has got nothing to do with it. But they've still made unwise choices. There are smart people still struggling with things like self-control and making poor choices with their life that don't reflect wisdom. Not because they don't know better, but because of the issues in their character, something about their character. You see, your IQ is not, uh, is not the measure of wisdom in your life. That, that's not like, well, just take that, your IQ, here's the number, that's how wise you are. No, that's not how it works. Wisdom is a product of character, and today, actually, EQ is valued as much, if not more, than IQ. So what is, what is EQ? It's that little thing on your radio. No, that's not what EQ. <laughs> Couldn't pass that one up. Wisdom is a product of character, and today EQ is valued. EQ is your emotional quotient, or literally emotional intelligence. Having emotional intelligence, it impacts your ability to govern your own emotions, to govern your own mood, uh, but also to be sensitive to where others are at emotionally and then respond accordingly to the given situation. It's what makes somebody great at being able to connect, to motivate, and even to lead others by having a strong EQ. Now, IQ tells us what you know about life or maybe a particular field of work or study or skill, but it doesn't guarantee that you're gonna be wise with your life or wise with people for that matter. Wisdom tells us what to do with what you know. It's about making the right um, choices uh, that are gonna bring about the best results for you, for your family, for your business, for every area of life. In fact, wisdom will even impact your walk with God. So how do you know that? Well, the Bible says that we're to pray. Jesus taught us how to pray. One of the things we're to pray for is, Lord, lead us not into temptation. How many of you know something? You can make some dumb choices that lead you into temptation. Come on. And then it caused you to make a, another dumb choice. Now you find yourself in sin. Now you're dealing with, with, with all of that. That doesn't exactly help you flourish in Jesus. So better to be smart about walking with God and be wise about those things. When people blow it in their life, you know, here's what they don't say. Oh, I didn't know any better. They usually say, why did I do such a stupid thing? In other words, what they're saying is, I know better than this, but I still was unwise about my choices. And that's what they're referring to. It's not a question related to their intelligence. It's a question related to their character. They wonder, why didn't I have more patience? 
Why didn't I exercise self-control in that situation? Why, why did I let myself just go with my anger? You know, why did I say such a stupid thing? You know, it's, it's all of these things. And it's because of something in their character. That's the issue that is sabotaging wisdom in their life where they were impatient, where they were angry, they were offended, whatever the case may be. Listen, two of the most important factors that even drive the financial markets and spending are, are out of our emotion and out of our character. They're called fear and greed. That's it. As a matter of fact, even when they talk, when economists talk about the market, where's the market going? Where's, you know what they talk about? Confidence. How much confidence is there in, in, in all of this? These kinds of, uh, of come almost intangible sort of factors. But fear and greed, emotion and character can drive a lot of financial choices. Proverbs 3.13 says this, the man who knows right from wrong and has good judgment and common sense is happier than the man who is immensely rich. For such wisdom is far more valuable than precious jewels. Nothing else compares with it. Wisdom functions in the context of right motivations. That's why the scriptures start talking very quickly about your motives, what's going on in your motivation, because they understand that this can affect you. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for four minutes or 40 years you can still have your motives tainted. You can still have your motives be a little bit off, uh, affected by things that have gone on in life or, or whatever the case may be. So it's not like, oh, I've been a Christian for decades. I probably don't have this problem. No, I would submit to you that this is something that we need to have an awareness about in our life so that we can deal with it throughout our life. And so they talk about bitter envy. Bitter envy. I wish I had what I don't have right now. I wish I have what I see others having. I wish I was being treated the way I see others being treated. It breeds this discontentment and a sense of coveting in our life. You know, envy is what brings about a discontentment, a wanting what you don't have, whereas contentment is really just wanting what you already got. And the thing about it is, it's not like, you have to sort of compare yourself to somebody you know. We have a culture that just wants to foster envy. We have a culture that just wants to foster discontentment. It's called advertising. Come on. The, the whole, go, they, don't, they don't post an advertisement about a vehicle or whatever it may be and then say, you probably have one that's just fine, but if you're thinking about changing, you might wanna buy this one. That's not what they do, do they? <laughs> They just want to show their product in such a way that you're just, you're just convinced that if you own that product, you'd be closer to Jesus. I mean, you just, you know, that you're just, it's just trying to grab a sense of discontentment and create a sense of discontentment that would make you think that this product will be the answer to how you're feeling right now and, and, or, or just a, a sense of, of even greed, if you will, and jealousy. Like, oh, I wish I could just, it'd be so good. But envy can actually sabotage wisdom. When we compare ourselves to others and think, oh, I just wish I could have this or compare ourselves to the commercial, whatever it may be, being discontent is not a good enough reason to make changes in your life. 
I want to say that one again because it's so important. Being discontent is not a good enough reason to make changes in your life. Discontentment does not always confirm the need for change around you, but might actually be pointing to what needs to change inside of you. I'm discontent, but then again, I tend to be ungrateful. I'm discontent, but I tend to be entitled, so I just sort of think everything should be my way. I'm discontent because I believe, you know, the the lie that having more or bigger or newer would be the solution to my happiness. I'm discontent because I'm just living with the exact same formula of life as everybody else is in the world, where I think it's about material things, it's about money, it's about success, it's about status, it's about, hey, if I marry the right person, my discontentment will go away. And all the married people said, (laughs) you didn't know what to say because you knew that was wrong, didn't you? It's like, you missed it, (laughs) you know? It's like... (laughs) Man, no wonder you have a high divorce rate if you got people who are discontent in life and think, if I can just get married, it's gonna be hap, 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 happy for me. <laughs> and then they find out that that's not true because when you get married, you have to like work on it. Now you can say, there you go. That was a sincere one. Okay. <laughs> Contentment, though, for Christ followers centers around a couple of things. First of all, our relationship with Jesus. Listen, when Jesus came into my world, my world got content. I felt like, that's it, I've arrived. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to impress anybody. I don't have to own anything. I don't have to accomplish anything in order to have that sense of fulfillment in life. I've got Christ in my life, I'm done. I am complete in Jesus. I am satisfied with him. Now, it's not saying I don't have vision and ambition, all all that stuff. What I'm trying to say is that that root of discontentment, because, and here's how you know if you've got worldly discontentment, is every time you answer it with the thing you think that will make you content, it only leaves you realizing that there's something else that's still missing, right? Right? Because it's not an issue that is material. It's not an issue that's relationship. It's not an issue that's success. It's not an issue of how people see you or anything like that. It's actually a spiritual issue called your separation from God that causes you to be so discontent all the time. But if you get hooked up with Jesus, you can solve all of that. And so when, when we center our lives around Christ, when our joy is Jesus, discontentment is left behind. Second thing about it, that we focus on as believers is this, is walking in God's purposes for my life. If you want to live a life that's fulfilled, seek first Jesus, second of all, walk in the purposes that God's leading you in. Because you know what, it's not about, well, I'm gonna get Jesus in my life and and he can bless my business ambitions. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. We don't don't add Jesus to your agenda. He, He replaces your agenda. He becomes the focus. He becomes the center of it all. Well, what if God doesn't bless my business? Well, who said he was supposed to? Where in the Bible does it say, Jesus died on the cross to bless your business? <laughs> Listen, you get your life centered around the king and his kingdom. That's it. 
and you find your fulfillment in that. Does God bless every area of our life? Absolutely, he does, and we experience that. But I'm talking about what is most important, what is vital, what is central to your life that brings about a sense of contentment. The king and his kingdom. Summed up, pleasing God is our joy in life. Amen. Contentment is knowing that you're living a life that's pleasing God, one without regrets, full of purpose and full of joy. Contentment is a state of heart and spirit. It is internal. Listen, Solomon was a man who pursued it all in life. He was the king. Uh, he was the wealthiest one around. He's known as a man of wisdom, all the rest of it. I mean, he, he had it for his time. He had the biggest, bestest house you could get, the big farm, the gardens, the horses, you know, wives, even pluraled on that. But then he makes this statement. In Ecclesiastes 2.24, it says, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? In other words, here's what Solomon's saying. I've had the best of the best. I've had everything anybody could ever want. Everything that's entered my imagination and my heart, I went ahead and got it. And then he says, after having it all, who can have enjoyment without him? In other words, my contentment is centered around God in my life. It's a statement of contentment. It's a statement of not living a life just driven to have more in the pursuit of happiness because the formula doesn't work. To be the king of the hill, if you will. If you don't discern your discontentment and address the real reason behind it, it actually may be coming from a place of envy. And to make decisions out of wisdom, you have to make them from a place of contentment, not a place of envy. To make decisions out of wisdom, you have to make them from a place of contentment. We lose good judgment when our motives are wrong. That's why the description of God's wisdom says that it's pure, it's impartial, it's sincere. Those are words that are motivation words. They're addressing what is your motive behind what you think you need to do. Pure speaks to motivation. It's not tainted by envy, not tainted by discontentment or coveting. Pure means that we're just seeking wisdom for wisdom's sake, to keep your life in a place of just wanting to know the right thing to do in every situation and then choosing to do it. It's impartial. Again, this can be about motivation, and I say that because what happens is we all have biases in our life, and our bias can make us partial to what we like or don't like. And, and it's, not, it's not like they're necessarily wrong, it's just kind of the way it is. We just have them, it's just part of our nature, maybe our personality, whatever the case may be. Wisdom, though, is impartial, doesn't have agenda. Wisdom doesn't have a chip on its shoulder, doesn't have a bias, doesn't have a bent to it. Um, so the question becomes this, what are you partial to? What are you partial to? What, what is your tendency? We all have our tendencies, and we, we need to be aware of them and, and to keep them from influencing our decisions. My tendency, personally, is to be a driver. And um, 
as good as that is, it has its problems with it. And so the good thing is I have people in my world that help me with the you gotta get ready before you take the next step kind of part of thinking because I can just like see vision and just wanna run with it and it's like, hold it, hold it, hold it. Let's ready aim fire rather than ready fire aim, okay? Let's get this right. So it helps me with my tendency. If your tendency is to do what is easiest all the time, how many know something? What is easiest might not be what's most important. Come on. What's easiest might not be wisest. Maybe you have a tendency to, towards comfort. You just like things to be comfortable. Well, the problem with that is you're gonna resist things that cause sacrifice. And sometimes the wisest thing to do will cost you the most, will create the most amount of sacrifice, but it's the wisest thing to do. If your tendency is to fear, then you're gonna always make self-protecting choices, but that won't necessarily help you realize the fullness of the potential that is on your life because you're so busy trying to protect what you've got God can't take you into a place of increase because of fear. If your tendency is to take risks, that's great, but, and you will make choices that'll stretch you, but make sure that you have counted the costs before you go ahead and, and, and take that risk. I heard a, I can't remember the, the country it was from, some kind of a proverb that said something about you should never sail out so far that you can't swim back or something like this. I thought it was a good cost-counting idea. Anyway, if your tendency is to be negative and small-minded, you'll just make safe choices all the time, not necessarily wise choices. So the point is for us to exercise godly wisdom, we need to be aware of our biases, aware of our tendencies so that we're not partial. Then it says it's sincere. It's without hypocrisy. One of the ways that I believe in being sincere and without hypocrisy is this. I'm not gonna tell somebody to do something that I don't already do in my own life. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna say, well, this, this is what you need to do. Meanwhile, I would never do that in my own life. So for instance, you'll never hear me tell you you need to go sign up for a gym membership. <laughs> Moving right along. But the other side of not being into hypocrisy is this. Wisdom doesn't do things just for show or pretense. In other words, godly wisdom comes from a place of sincerity where the person I present myself to be is the person that I actually am. Then it goes on and it warns us in the scripture about the place of selfishness and the influence that it can have on wisdom. Selfishness is about a concentration that limits itself only on your advantage your pleasure, your well-being. You are not concerned, or you are concerned, I should say, exclusively and excessively for self, not taking others into consideration. But godly wisdom is considerate. It's considerate. Since wisdom is considerate, it takes into account the rights and the feelings of others with its decision. Wisdom doesn't operate on an island where it's like, well, I'm just gonna think about me and just figure out what's best for me. Why? Because your life isn't an island. Your life is not an island. Your life has influence to the relationships and, and the community around you. And, and of course, getting married and having a family, you begin to realize just how much your life is no longer an island. But selfishness 
can cause you to overlook others. Life is not lived on an island. Every decision impacts those who are closest to you, and biblical wisdom is always considerate of others. Our motives can be evaluated, and they can be evaluated really with a one-word statement in the fashion of a question, and that word is why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why would I choose what I'm thinking of choosing? Why would I make that choice? Why would I say that thing? Wisdom embraces counsel from the right people. Wisdom embraces counsel from the right people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Who you listen to, who you gain advice from will determine how you think. And when you want counsel, the question becomes this, do you go to people with an opinion or with an experience? You know, everybody's got an opinion. Say, how do you know that? Well, it's my opinion. No, but everybody has an opinion. I know that because of Facebook. You can't post anything without everybody's opinion on it. Everybody's got their take on stuff. Everybody's got something to say about something. But opinions don't necessarily bring wisdom to you. Experience is the place that brings wisdom to you. And so when we think about who we're gonna talk to, who we're gonna gain counsel from, because that's biblical to do that, we wanna think, who's got the experience that can actually help me in my decision? People think, say things like, oh, I got counsel. I went and talked to my friends. Well, just because you golf with them or shop with them or go fishing with them doesn't mean they have a clue about the area of life that you might need some input on. But here's why you go to your friends. It's because you're comfortable. It's because you feel comfortable to be vulnerable. You feel comfortable to be able to say what you wanna say about what you're dealing with, what you're facing. But listen, I would submit to you that just because you're comfortable with them doesn't mean they're the right people to include in your counsel in that moment. You need to find people with experience, people with wisdom that can actually speak to the situation. Our motivation isn't right as well if we only go to people that we know will agree with us. You know, sometimes people do that. Come, Well, I've been talking to this person, this person, this one. Great, you've developed a little tribe around your issue and around your opinion, but you've not gotten any wisdom. You just went and found people that you could convince to get on your side. Seek counsel from those with experience who are actually qualified to help you. The scripture tells us that godly wisdom, by the way, is peace-loving. In other words, it brings peace to the table, not an argument, not an argument. One, one translation says they're easily entreated, easily entreated. Arguers are people who are just there to convince you about their opinion. And here's the problem. If you become an arguer, you're gonna have a very difficult time getting wisdom. Here's why. Because you're not a good listener. All you're thinking about is what you can say to convince somebody about what you already think is your opinion. Wisdom loves counsel. Wisdom loves another viewpoint. Proverbs 9, 8 says, do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Then it says this, reprove a wise man and he will love you. That word reprove literally means correct, correct. 
So here's my question. How receptive are you to advice, particularly of a corrective nature? Do you get defensive? Do you feel ashamed or embarrassed by it? Wise people don't. They know the value of having their mind changed. In fact, they would rather have their mind changed than just argue their own position because they're thankful that they can learn, they can grow, they can change. But if you feel personally put down or attacked when you're corrected, that insecurity is causing you to resist wisdom in your life. And if you wanna grow in wisdom, then learn to graciously accept the input of correction from others, rather than seeing as it being something that's kind of like putting you down, it's God actually building you up. That corrective word is actually helping you to be able to go, man, I don't have to make this mistake and then go through the pain of it. Why? Because I've been corrected, it's gonna help me out. Then it says it's submissive. I love counsel because I'd far sooner learn from somebody else's mistakes than from my own. Come on. You know, before building this building, um, Leslie and I toured a number of other churches uh, that were like 10 years old, say at the oldest, just to see what they built, how they built it, and then to ask the question, what do you like about the building? What would you change if you could? Because we didn't want to just go hire an architect and say, hey, could you just you know, build the building and make the same mistakes you made in the last one you did? Um, <laughs> So we went around to get some wisdom, to submit to some wisdom. Every major decision over the past 31 years of this, church, of this church's existence, major decisions are always made in the context of wise counsel. And that includes even the decision for Leslie and I and our family to move here and start the church in the first place. We didn't do one of these, well, we're just gonna pray and obey. Well, if you don't get counsel, you're actually not operating in a scriptural context. And so, yeah, we prayed, yeah, we sensed the Holy Spirit's leading, but we also sought out wise counsel as part of the process. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool seems right to him. In other words, just me and Jesus, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, 22, without consultation, plans are what? Frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. The fool in Proverbs 12 has an issue called independence. That's why they can't hear the input of another. You know, when the Bible uses the word submissive, it says God's wisdom is submissive. It's not meaning be a doormat where it's like, well, this is what I feel God wants me to do. What do you think? Ah, don't do it. Okay. That's not the context. The context of it is be reasonable. Be reasonable. In other words, the ability to talk through your ideas with somebody and reason together on them to figure out what is the wise thing to do. That's what it's saying with being submissive. Okay, I gotta move on to number three before your turkey gets burnt in the oven or something. Here we go. Wisdom requires the right knowledge for the situation. Wisdom requires the right knowledge. Proverbs tells us this, store up knowledge. Store up knowledge. Proverbs 10, 14. Wise man stores up knowledge. So wisdom comes as we seek out counsel. That counsel and that research are all about this, storing up knowledge, just gaining more information, gaining more knowledge. Wisdom, though, is this. 
Wisdom is discerning what part of that knowledge applies to your situation. So in other words, I can't just go to somebody and say, well, here's my situation. What did you do? You did the, okay, great. I'll just go do the same thing. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. I just got knowledge. Wisdom, though, says what part of that knowledge actually applies to my circumstance. Now, James chapter one starts off by saying, if you lack wisdom, you're to pray and ask God and he will give it to you. And, you know, sometimes people look at that verse and, and take it at face value, which, by the way, God's word is meant to be um, taken as a collective. The Bible says this, the sum of God's word is truth. In other words, we can't just look at one scripture and then go build a doctrine around it. We gotta look at everything the scriptures say, and then we build our wisdom around what, what God's word says, okay? I'm trying to move fast here, sorry. I'll slow down, because this point's really important. So people look at this and they go, okay, I'm just gonna pray. Okay, this is what I feel to do. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, man, I've been praying about what to do, and, and this, is what I feel like the, this is what I feel like the Lord showed me to do, and, and you just feel like saying, who did you pray to? Because <laughs> it's like, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> I don't think Jesus was home when you prayed that prayer. I think you talked you talk to somebody else. <laughs> Now, here's how to think about this. I have a toolbox at home. It's got several different you know, layers to it and stuff. And, and so it's got sockets, it's got screwdrivers, pliers, hammers, saws, all kinds of stuff in it. Now, what if somebody went to that toolbox and took half the tools out? And then I was on a project, and now I'm trying to do this project, and I'm, I'm reaching for a half-inch wrench, but all I've got is a one-quarter or a seven-eighths, so it's not gonna work. I'm reaching for a flat screwdriver, but the only thing that's there is one with those little square heads to it. I'm reaching for a saw, but all I've got is, is a sander. I'm gonna be frustrated. I'm not gonna have the right answer to, uh, for the situation. But this is what it looks like when people try to use this verse in James as their step of wisdom in life and they don't have the knowledge needed for the Holy Spirit to show them the wisdom to their situation. Knowledge is about filling the toolbox. Wisdom is about which tool to use. They may say, oh, I prayed about it and this is what God wants me to do, but it's actually rooted in ignorance. Knowledge is your toolbox. But if you don't have enough knowledge, then praying for wisdom won't work. Your prayers are not meant to be a way of bypassing the need for research, for counsel, for study, and gaining all the knowledge you need so that you can pray with insight and knowledge and understanding, as it talks about a lot in Proverbs, instead of praying from a position of ignorance and thinking the Holy Spirit is supposed to magically just let you know what you should do. In fact, you could be at a place where you literally cannot get wisdom and leadership from the Spirit of God because you simply don't have the knowledge. But a wise man stores up knowledge. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for the capacity to grow in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. Moses, Lord, had to grow in wisdom, he wasn't, he wasn't doing everything perfect. He had to learn how to manage and how to lead to 
fulfill the calling on his life. And I thank you, Lord, that no matter where we're at in life, that we can grow in wisdom, that we can discern if our motives aren't right, that we can discern that and we can change that. I thank you, Father, for that ability. I thank you for the ability to grow in knowledge as well, Lord, and, and the Spirit of God to guide us as we sincerely um, seek that out, as we sincerely go after that. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for you working with us because our desire is to live a life that reflects godly wisdom. Your promise is that wisdom builds the house. Lord, as, as we just choose to seek it out in every area of life, Spirit of God, I thank you for guiding us through this process. With our heads bowed, I wanna pray one more prayer, and that is for those that are here today that meet, need to make the wisest choice of your life. The wisest choice of your life is the decision to not only believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but to submit your life to his leadership, to allow him to be the Lord of your life and follow him with all your heart. There are a lot of Christians who are frustrated in their attempt to walk with God because they've, they've confessed a faith towards Jesus, but don't live a life surrendered to Jesus where they're actually following his word, where they're actually obeying scripture, where they're actually putting the kingdom first place in their life. And the way to break out of that frustration is to make a decision here today that says, Jesus, I'm not just gonna believe in you. I'm not just gonna say that you have a place in my life, but you get to have first place as the leader in my life and I'll follow you with all my heart. But if that hasn't happened for you, I wanna, I wanna pray with you. This is your opportunity to make it right between you and God, to say, God, I just want you to know this is your place in my world. Where their heads bowed, how many here would say, today I'm making the decision, Jesus gets first place in my life. Can you give me a wave if that's you? Include me in this prayer. I want Christ to be first place in my life. Let's pray with those who are praying here today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross, paid for my past, I ask you to forgive me of my past. I thank you that you rose from the grave to give me a new life. And I confess you as my Lord and I'll follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.